2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern, listen in. All right, thanks a lot, John. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for Scott Wapner. A rally on Wall Street as the latest key read on inflation comes in, lighter than expected. Is this the start of real and meaningful moves higher for stocks? And what does it mean for the Fed's next rate hike? We're going to debate that and much more with our investment committee. And with us today, Carrie Firestone, Jason Snipe, and with me right here on set, Jim Liebenthal, Joe Terranova, and senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. Wharton professor Jeremy Siegel will also be joining us very shortly. But first, let's begin with a check on the rally at this hour. Stocks jumping on the back of a better-than-expected CPI number. The Dow right now up about 500 points. The S&P up about 2%. The Nasdaq showing a lot of leadership here, moving more than 2.5% higher. Meta up about 5% at last check. The 10-year yield also rising as well in that CPI report, up at about 3.165%. The two-year yield actually hitting its lowest level since August 5th. All right, we begin right there. And Joe Terranova, I'm going to start off with you. I was watching you on Closing Bell Overtime yesterday, talking a lot about inflation in this CPI read. Did it come out the way you expected? Obviously, it came it came below analyst expectations, but what does that mean for the markets? Right now, we're seeing a rally, but do you expect to see that throughout the rest of this day?
3: Well, I said yesterday on overtime with Mike Santoli that I, it was important to watch the Treasury market. The Treasury market has been the leading indicator for the equity market since the 10-year and the 30-year found its peak at 3.49 on June 14th. Equities have responded since then. Um, I I think the proper way to think about it right now is, Frank, what's the positioning, what's the sentiment in the market? Does it correlate with an environment in which we were pricing risk assets in June, not so much for a hard landing or a soft landing, but for stagflation? Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone's talking about stagflation today in terms of strategic portfolio management. I think what you do now is you price out stagflation. Stagflation is not gonna be the challenge within your portfolio. We could go through the economic arguments why the disinflationary pressures from a technology-oriented economy. But you remove stagflation, and I think what you do is you reintroduce a growth strategy. Right, And that's what's been occurring for the better part of the last six to eight weeks. That's what I've personally been doing. Uh, in the JOT ETF, I spoke about the rebalance on the first day of August for the first time in six quarters. WE INCREASED OUR EXPOSURE TO TECHNOLOGY. WE INCREASED OUR EXPOSURE TO GROWTH. WE DIDN'T WALK AWAY FROM THE PLACES WHICH WE WERE ALREADY OVERWEIGHT, LIKE FINANCIALS. WE TOOK A BARBELL APPROACH. WE STILL THINK ENERGY IS A GREAT RISK HEDGE AGAINST MAYBE A FALLBACK IN in THE ECONOMIC CONDITIONS. BUT YOU MOVE A LITTLE BIT TOWARDS GROWTH, AND I THINK THAT'S BEEN REFLECTED BY AN OUTPERFORMANCE OF GROWTH OVER VALUE OF NEARLY 10%, NARROWING THAT PERFORMANCE GAP from where it was where it was
2: 20% back in June. So, Jim, over to you. Uh, Yesterday, a lot of discussion about we've reached peak inflation. I don't know if we have or we haven't. One month is not going to tell us that, but certainly a better-than-expected report.
4: Yeah, uh, definitely not time to spike the football, Frank. But, but in football jargon, we just picked up a nice first down. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's not get carried away. Let's
2: get back <laughs> in the huddle and move forward. Was it a run or a pass?
4: Uh, it, was, it was a big yardage play, I'll say that much. <laughs> now, the, the camera can't show it, but I've got Steve Leisman over here to my right, and I'm sure he's going to key off of everything I'm seeing. So I don't want to get too carried away, okay? But this does matter, and here's why. The <laughs> It has been literally a year and a half since you've had a CPI report, Frank, come in better than expectations, meaning lower than expectations. Think about that. A year and a half that you haven't been disappointed in the CPI. That's a breathtakingly long period of time. Hat tip to Joe in my office in Philadelphia for giving me that data, by the way. But um, what it is an indication to me, you don't normally see economists and the analyst community get it that wrong for that long. It's an indication to me that we are in a brave new world post-pandemic. And that's many ways that we see that. But one of which is this prediction of inflation has become very hard. Now, possibly we're going to see that pendulum uh, sweep to the other direction. And Joe, this is to your point about sentiment. If you now had next month's CPI and we've just gotten the first reading for this month. But if you got next month's CPI coming in better than expectations, then maybe you can really lay a claim that the Fed might only do 50 basis points in September, 25 and 25 thereafter. We peak out at three and a half which is what the market expects. Okay. Right. And that would be very kumbaya, very kumbaya. Um, The market is not adjusted to going to four and a half. It isn't. It isn't. It's not adjusted to going above 4%. So that's kind of where the market's teetering right now. And one day like today is a big first down, but the ball is not in the end zone.
2: Yeah. I want to correct myself really quick. Uh, Ten-year yield at 2.772. I don't don't know what I was reading over there. Maybe I'm Eyes might be getting bad, guys. I don't even know. But I'm going to keep this football analogy going. Jason Snipe down in my hometown of Philadelphia. Since you mentioned Philadelphia, Jim, uh, was this a big pass by Jalen Hurts down the field where we're seeing uh, tech rallying on this better than expected inflation report?
1: I love the football analogies that we're we're rolling with this morning. Um, So, yes, I think I think. It absolutely is very positive for the market. Clearly, as Jimmy's been talking about for a while, I mean, commodity prices have been rolling over. You know, uh, oil futures have been coming down. So on the headline, I think the market expected this to come in a little bit lighter. But I'm speaking to core right now. I think core came in also a little bit lighter. You know, Shelter costs have been a concern for me going forward. Those are the more sticky part of inflation uh, that I think is going to have a little bit longer for it to a little, take a little bit longer for it to really abate and moderate. So I think that I think the, the markets are also looking towards and this is what Jimmy just mentioned, Fed policy going forward. So maybe in September we don't need to go as hard as we've been talking about or they've been telegraphing maybe fifty point fifty basis points is the answer, you know, in September and I think the market's responding. And obviously you see the Nasdaq up close to two point seven percent today. So I think that, that's really the narrative that's playing out right now.
2: Carrie I'm gonna come over to you. You gotta come up with your own football analogy on this one. Huh. But uh, what do you see <laughs> how do you see this impact in the markets today, but also that big meeting in September. Do you think this changes the Fed's policy and strategy at all?
5: Uh, well, well I think that uh, we have lost interest in the Hail Mary pass. So we we have stopped thinking that we need some resurrection from the Fed to bring us back to something that we could stabilize from. The market seems to be doing this on the back of slightly lower inflation numbers. All, all we really needed was something below the 8.8 expectation, and we got there. So we're 8.5. But really, this seems to be more of a rally based on the bond market, which may have peaked at, as Joe said, around 3.5. It's come down a fair amount, so we're. You know, we're trading to 270, and 2.8, and that's comfortable for the market. That's where we have thought we were going to head where we can start to see growth stocks outperform because the discounting mechanism of earnings way out into the future is much more favorable if interest rates aren't going to keep moving higher and the Fed isn't going to keep doing 75 basis points for several moves. We're in a slowdown. It may be that we're in a slight recession, but it doesn't appear to be a severe recession. And if we can stay here with. Uh, with some comfort and and inflation slows down over the next six months i think the market can keep rallying. our concern and i think the major concern um, that bulls might have about the market is whether it can broaden out or whether it stays too narrow and there's a little chart that vinnie did that shows that the top performing stocks over the last six weeks since june sixteenth when we bottomed have been the stocks that went down the most you know they are 39 stocks that have moved up over 50%, and 30 of them were names that had fallen over 50%. Many of them are meme stocks and Kathy Wood, um, ARK Invest stocks, and Robinhood names, uh, you know, Coinbase, Roblox, AMC. Of course, the bigger names have moved, but we want to have this rally be broad enough so that it carries the whole market and not just a segment of the market that's very volatile and can move down again and carry the market to some extent with it. So it's nice to see mm-hmm. a broad advance today.
2: Carrie, some great points there. And the, the very rare Ben Caruso shout out, I believe. You don't hear that very often. I'm going to turn <laughs> gears. I'm going to even switch oh, analogies. come on. <laughs> I'm going to even switch analogies. I'm going to go to my CPI consulieri, Steve Leisman. <laughs> What's your take on all, everything that we're seeing right now? Does this CPI number Uh, inflation number much, well not much, but significantly better than expected. Does that change what the Fed is planning for September? I need a point of
6: information on the analogy going around, Jim. What side of the 50-yard line are we on here? Is this a first down yeah, when I'm <laughs> deep in my own territory, I'm still playing prevent defense,
4: or is this a first down when I'm threatening to score? You you know we're on our side of the field still. We've got, still a, we got a long way to okay. go. That's why you're my, way you're my
2: wartime concierge, but that didn't start with a C. I wanted to keep the alliteration Okay, belt. I got you, I got you. So here's the thing. I want to talk about a number, which picks up on
6: what Joe and Kara were talking about and feeds into the Labenthal rose-colored glasses uh, wow. uh, a thing. Okay, here's the thing. You haven't heard this number before today zero point five percent what is that number you may ask me frank i'm asking right now what is that number frank that is what happened to real average hourly earnings today when you printed a goose egg on the cpi now point of information we are still three percent below where we were a year ago however this is a potential sign of what could happen to real average hourly earnings and to consumption, to talk about the withering of the stagflation argument, if we should get, Frank, continued declines or or, or, or low increases in month-to-month inflation, this is what could happen to the consumer. So I think this number, Following that, and there are still a lot of things. I think Jim's idea about being deep in our own territory is accurate. We still have wage inflation. Who knows what's going to happen to gasoline prices and energy prices because of Europe. We got a big boost this time around. It was good to see the service number not go up as much as people thought. It's still too high. 5.9% is still, I don't know what you might want to say, a football field away from the Fed's 2% target. I'll tell you what the fly
4: in the ointment is. Go for it. It is energy, okay? And this is the fly in the ointment to my thesis of of being bullish. I will say this. I think we've got another month of good uh, relative to expectations CPI coming up, just where gasoline futures are, just simply where they are in the month of August. But the problem that we know, we all know it, is there is a secular supply demand imbalance in crude oil that can only be cured by Russian oil. It just ain't coming on. You can't, you, we've done the band-aid approach with uh, inventory draws, strategic petroleum reserves. That can't continue on. This is the fly-in, my ointment. And I'm sorry to say I don't have the solution to it. Joe looks like he wants no, to No, but that's something. why
3: you take the barbell approach here and, and you utilize energy basically from a risk perspective where you want to maintain an overweight positioning there if you believe there's going to be that better outcome, Steve, where you take stagflation off the table and growth comes back once again. But I, I, I think it's important to, to address... Uh, THE MARKET EXPECTATION, WHICH HAS BEEN THAT THE FED WILL NOT BE ABLE TO COMBAT INFLATION. I, I'VE HEARD THAT AD nauseam. OKAY? WHY CHANGE THE POLICY RIGHT NOW IF YOU'RE MOVING THE BALL DOWN THE FIELD, YOU are THE FEDERAL RESERVE, YOU LOOK WITHIN THE CORE REPORT TODAY, WHAT DO YOU SEE? YOU SEE THAT AIRFARES, YOU SEE THAT HOTEL LARGING, YOU SEE THAT USED CAR, DISCRETIONARY SPENDING yeah. IS COMING DOWN, BUT YET CAR INSURANCE, SPENDING ON PETS, those are necessities. That's still elevated. So they're impacting. Housing dis- as well, Joe. House- right. Right. And, but they're impacting discretionary spending, which is what you want them to do. So potentially they're able to combat inflation, right? which right. was counter there to the overwhelming Joe, Joe, there's
6: never been a question. I think people have been wrong. The Fed will win this battle against inflation. That's Only the first question. But that's the first time about price. That. At what price? I've said this for a very long well, time. That's the real and question for you, Steve. That's all yeah. we got you out well, That's not so, that consensus. So, are,
2: so let's keep the football yeah. analogy going. Are we yeah. moving the chains towards that soft landing? Love Maybe it. not the touchdown. And then I'm going to ask. The and, and then
6: we could talk about the question: is, is is Powell, Tom Brady, or Joe Bizarrech for anybody who's a <laughs> former <laughs> old? Maybe Bill Belichick. Let's not even know who that is. Let me perform the service for which I have been here here invited, which is tell you where the market stands on the Fed. Okay. If you look at what's happened, the chance of a 50 much. Much higher today than it was before the CPI number. If you take a look at our, the, the bar graph that they have it here, it had been a 60% or 68% chance of a 75. Now it's down to 30%. Um, and, and that's where the view is of where we're headed. Need to say that there's the percentage change. You can see it had been leaning towards a 75. Now it's leaning towards a 50. Look at if you need to report that Evans from Chicago Fed President earlier today remarking that he sees us going to four. Mm-hmm. And this is where we get to where I started the conversation, Frank, which is, what's the price? If the price is, as Jim says, we stop at three and a half, we probably get out without a big downturn. The Fed goes to four all the way restricted, four and a quarter. Today, I have to say, is encouraging I think we still have challenges to come when it comes to incorporating wage inflation energy inflation and some more service I don't know the thing that bugs me the most is this housing inflation right when does that start to roll over and help Mm -hmm. the index remember it's a third of the index if we can get any help there it's a big help to the overall index
2: all right coach Leeson we got to get you back to the phone room but really quick uh, if you can forecast we're going to use your crystal ball just for a moment 50 or 75 in September
6: I'm going to take a pass can I tell you why I get to talk to a lot of Fed folks in, in, uh, in Jackson Hole in a couple weeks. I also get a bunch more data. Another CPI. Um, another CPI. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of Esther George, who has come forward with a really interesting uh, thesis, which is, let's keep the Fed rates moderate because of the thing nobody talks about. WE'RE ABOUT TO DOUBLE THE AMOUNT OF QUANTITATIVE TIGHTENING COMING THROUGH. WE'RE ABOUT TO GO FROM 50 BILLION A MONTH, 47 AND A HALF TO BE PRECISE, TO $95 BILLION A MONTH OF QT. WE'VE NEVER SEEN THIS AMOUNT. Esther GEORGE WANTS TO PROTECT QT. SHE WANTS TO MAKE SURE THE FED REDUCES THE BALANCE SHEET. SO HER IDEA, LET'S KEEP THESE RATE HIKES MODERATE AND DON'T CREATE HUGE DISRUPTIONS IN FINANCIAL MARKETS SO THEY CAN STOMACH THIS MASSIVE QUANTITATIVE TIGHTENING COMING THROUGH. AND THAT'S WHY I don't know how much support there is for Esther's idea, does, So does wait, Fed, and I'll get to know that but, in a couple But, Steve, weeks. that wasn't quick, and wait, you didn't we, we, answer. We, we, I'm
2: going to change you to Senator Leisman. You're not even <laughs> Coach Leisman sen, anymore. Sen, sen. You danced around that one. I know.
6: Send All me right. back down to the minors. All oh, right. That's a different analogy. Senior Never economics mind.
2: reporter Steve Leisman. Thanks, there's no junior thanks, economics thanks. reporter. You're just economics reporter Steve Leisman. Senior. He's uh, senior to I, me. I give it. Hundreds of juniors. All right, let's welcome in Professor Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School, certainly a senior voice in this discussion. Professor, thanks for joining us.
7: Happy to be here. I like I like these football <laughs> analogies sitting in Philadelphia, reference to Jalen Hurts. I'm an Eagles fan, so uh, I'm with you.
2: Well, I think that's the question right now. So Steve kind of put it out there, Professor, since you're, you're rolling with it. I'm from Philadelphia myself. So right now, Jay Powell, is he Carson Wentz or is he Jalen Hurts? For those people that aren't watching, can he lead this to this soft landing that everybody's talking about, or do you think he might fumble?
7: Uh, Well, first of all, you know, I've been a big critic of him. He shouldn't have let the inflation, as we all know, get as bad as it did. But, you know, he got religion, so to speak, and he's moving. Um, uh, We do have five more weeks. And as you guys have mentioned, uh, a lot of data. I mean, tomorrow we have PPI and we have another CPI, PPI, another employment report. We have five uh, uh, unemployment uh, compensation insurance reports. So there's a lot of data coming. Um, I would go 50 and then 225s at this particular point to sort of complete market expectations. Uh, I also believe that, uh, you know, we've noted that uh, Steve Leeson noted that shelter inflation Is still there but it is also backward looking the way the government calculates the cpi index when we get actually on the ground in the housing market selling prices are softening not rising rental prices although still rising are not rising at the rate they once did now that won't be reflected in the index for many months And the Fed has to recognize that. So, you know, for uh, 30 percent of the index is still going to be very firm outside of that uh, level. Forward looking inflation, to me, uh, looks good and uh, looks like the Fed can be more moderate. I also look at the money supply. We've commented on how how good that that behavior has been this year.
2: So, Professor, you mentioned that Jay Powell just found religion. I'm going to go to some of your testimony from just a month ago. You said that the worst of inflation had passed, possibly based on today's CPI report. You also said the CPI is backwards looking, but you're leaning on it a bit right now. And you said that Jay Powell needs to be forward looking. So you mentioned what you would do when it comes to the hikes. But what do you want Jay Powell to do? Or at least
7: what do you expect him to do? Well, that's exactly the point. I don't want him to look at, at the CPI, which is, you know, uh, you know, for the last month in a lagged index and say, oh, my goodness, I see point four. I see 0.5, I want it to be point two. Um, I got to keep on tightening. I think he has to realize that the way the index is constructed, there is a lot of inflation that's still unfortunately pushed through on that official index, but has already been experienced by Americans uh, in the market. Uh, and so. And and that's what I want him to be forward looking in terms of what's going on on those sensitive commodities, what's going on in the actual housing markets. Talk to to, to those that are in it and they will find there's less inflation than the official statistics are going to tell us over the next three to six months.
2: All right, Professor, we've got a bunch of questions for you. Carrie Firestone has one for you right now. Yes.
5: So, Professor Siegel, this is a question related to valuation. It's it's not just about economics. Uh, We we know we're in a slowdown. You don't have to look further than the semiconductor industry or advertising to understand that. And now that we've had this move up, the S and P's up, you know, fifteen percent from the bottom, fifteen percent right since June sixteenth, and we went from fifteen and a half times forward earnings to maybe seventeen times earnings for for the following year, but. Uh, Earnings numbers may be coming down. Uh, And so the question is, how much further do you think the multiple can go of the market before we sort of hit a level that it becomes unsustainable and and limits upside?
7: Yeah, and valuation is the most important. I don't think 17 is is too expensive uh, in a market. Now, we do have rising interest rates, but still on a historical basis, they're not really competing with the historical returns on stocks uh you know we, we see the mm-hmm. we we see the 10-year the 30-year two and a half three percent after inflation that's still n- negative so i i've often said that we are moving towards a long run of a 20 p e ratio now you're right uh, those those estimates in 2023 were way too high they are being brought down per, per single digit numbers is fine but that still leaves us in a what i think a pretty sweet area evaluation. Uh, I'm not concerned on the valuation front. Not yet.
5: Good. Thank you.
4: Uh, Professor, it's Jim Labenthal. Uh, you said something yes, that really Jim. caught me by surprise, but in a good way. You've, first off, you've been very hawkish as far as what the Fed should be doing. Uh, you've been that way and you've been right for quite some time. So when you just said you're predicting 50 at the next meeting and then 25 and 25, it caught me a little bit by surprise. But now I'm thinking about it more. And I'm thinking it was Jim Bullard who said not that long ago, hey, you know what, folks? Seventy five basis points is a lot. That's a big move. We've already raised 225 basis points. If I told you at the beginning of the year that at the end of this year we're going to raise 325 basis points, well, you might, have, you might have said that's enough. But the point is, is the market getting maybe too carried away with just how aggressive the Fed can be? I mean, in the Fed's stance, don't they say, we've done 225. If we do 325 by the end of the year, we've got to see what happens.
7: Yeah, and I, th- I think they, they should. You know, I, I've also said... That I think, uh, and and here's where I think that Larry Summers, who I respect certainly very much as a fellow academic, is wrong, and he thinks about 5%. I, I don't think that uh, the so-called R-star or or what we call the, the, the neutral Fed funds rate uh, is as high as the Fed thinks. I think once they get to the two level, they're being a little restrictive, believe it or not. Two and a half, uh, three, th- you can see by the term structure. We live in a very different world than we lived in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even 2000, where people thought 4% or 5% long-term bonds was normal in a 2% world. We live in a a world where I think the long run real rates are going to remain zero or negative for quite a while. So when the Fed starts pushing it up the way they have, They're being maybe more restrictive than many people believe that they are. And we take a look at the money supply slowdown. We take a look at what's going on on the ground, in the housing market, in the commodities market, even in the food market and agricultural. We see that tightness taking place. So that's why I'm optimistic that it won't crest out at a very, very high rate. All
2: right, Professor Siegel, we got to leave the conversation right there. Thank you for the Philly special. A lot of New York people upset. (laughs) Thank you. These metaphors have all New York City upset right now. Professor Siegel, we really appreciate your time. All right, the NASDAQ on a tear today. Apple and Amazon hitting their highest level since mid April. Microsoft hitting its highest level since early May. One of our committee members is adding to the position in one of these names. We will reveal it and discuss the tech trade from here. Halftime. Back in two minutes.
3: Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry leading on time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more.
5: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones.
2: All right, welcome back to Halftime. The rally in Mega Cap Tech is back on the heels of that better than expected inflation read. Names like Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft hitting their highest level in more than three months. And Carrie, you're making a move in this space. You're adding more Amazon to your position. Amazon shares up 3% right now.
5: Right, exactly. Well, as you know, Frank, Amazon has been a very poor performer over the past year. I mean, it's really underperformed the S&P. And what we've heard recently is that the numbers were better than feared, that e-commerce remains on a growth track, that AWS is a solid performer. And we just decided to go overweight the stock. We were equal weight. And we've added um, you know, quite a a large position on top of what we owned and we think that it's undervalued right now and over the next year the market is going to appreciate what amazon is and the stock will begin to outperform again
2: yeah snape over to you also looking at apple right now up about one and a half percent um no doubt from bernstein earlier that you see opportunity in apple to outperform through its iphone launch in september but then after that they say it's going to be neutral to modestly negative you say have the same outlook when it comes to apple
5: well, so Apple been obviously had some really strong.
2: <laughs> sorry. Go snipe, ahead. I'm Go ahead. So, sorry about that, Kira. I was going over to Snipe.
1: Okay, sorry. Yeah, Yeah. so Apple Apple obviously has done, done really well. The, their earnings report was really strong, $83 billion revenue um, you know, in, in, the, in Q2, which is a record for them. Um, so what I would say, which was really impressive to me, was uh, their performance in China. You know, they're only down about 1% with all the supply chain concerns and headwinds on shutdowns in China. Um, you know, the stock still performed well. It's still expensive at 27 times with single-digit earnings growth going forward. So. I think Apple is kind of perceived as a safe haven. It's run a lot since the June low, so I, I probably wouldn't expect a whole lot of runway uh, from here on out, but but it's a, it's a mainstay in our portfolio, and we're still long the stock for sure.
2: Joe, I'm going to toss the ball over to you. I'm going to keep this football analogy going just one more time. Um, Meta added to the U.S. one list by Bank of America. Alphabet removed. Any strong feelings about either one of those stocks? Both of them obviously up today.
3: Uh, the opposite of the positioning that I have. I maintain exposure to Alphabet. I don't have any positioning in Meta. I'm not exactly sure what this company is, other than I see Instagram itself is trying to recreate themselves. And I think you need to see multiple quarters in which management displays some form of confidence. I get the bounce in Meta that we're seeing. It's largely rooted in this return to growth and risk mm-hmm. back on. So you're, you're gonna look at uh, Netflix, you're gonna look at Meta, and you're gonna buy the underperformance relative to a Microsoft, an Alphabet, or an Apple. But I'm gonna stay there. In the case of Apple, Uh, Find a stock in the S&P 500 that's five percent above its 200-day moving average. That's exactly what Apple has been, and it really has been leading this market recovery.
2: I want to come back to you on Meta. Wasn't Meta recently moved to a value stock? I mean, is it technically still a growth stock? I know we look at it as a tech play and things like that, but is it still definitely a growth stock, or at least is it in your mind? Well, it, it wants to be priced as a growth stock, and its
3: business model is for it to be a growth stock. But unfortunately, a series of quarterly misses has had price deteriorate significantly. And guess what? You find yourself in the value bin when that happens. But I think management thinks of themselves as a growth-oriented company. All right, Jim, over to you. Where are you at with the tech trade right now?
4: Well, Joe's given me a lot to work with here because um, I am a value believer. Joe knows that. Everybody knows that. And when I look at tech, I'm underweight Apple. I'm underweight Microsoft. I do own it, Joe and Carrie and Jason. But here's what my issue is, is I don't see these multiples expanding. If I look at Microsoft, it's at about 28 times the coming 12 months earnings. And I don't see those multiples expanding. So what I look at and I say the price uh, increase from here is going to be equal to the earnings per share increase. Looking at fact set, it says the next several years are going to average about 12.5%. Now, that's not bad, folks. Okay, it's not bad. But even within tech, if I look at the value space, particularly chips, right? I look at something like Qualcomm. Everybody knows I like Qualcomm. It's at 11 times earnings, and it's got about a 15% long-term growth rate. So that's where I want to be. That's where the market is telling me I'm paying the right price for the earnings per share growth rate because I can even get the multiple expansion, which is part of my investment thesis in Qualcomm. By the way, what I just said extends beyond technology to the true cyclicals, whether it's financials, industrials, energy or materials, which I think will benefit uh, from the economic expansion that we're due after this slowdown.
2: All right. Still a big day for tech. NASDAQ up two and a half percent being led right now by Microsoft having the biggest positive impact on the tech heavy index. All right. Coming up, Carrie's making a lot of moves in her portfolio. We'll reveal them. And of course, we're going to debate them. Halftime returns in just two minutes. Stay with us.
0: Welcome back to Halftime Report. I'm Christina Parts Here's our CNBC news update at this hour. A member of Iran's Revolutionary Guard offered hundreds of thousands of dollars to murder former Trump National Security Advisor John Bolton, apparently as retaliation for the death of an Iranian general in a targeted airstrike. That's according to charges filed today by the Justice Department against the operative, who is being sought by the FBI. Before he signed a bill this morning expanding health care benefits for veterans who have been exposed to toxic burn pits, President Biden celebrated today's inflation numbers, focusing on the CPI remaining steady in July when compared to June, rather than the 8.5% annual increase.
4: Today, we received news that our economy had 0% inflation in the month of July. 0%. Here's what that means. While the price of some things go up went up last month. The price of other things went down by the same amount. The result, zero inflation last month.
0: And in southwestern France, wildfires are burning again as the country prepares for its fourth heat wave of the summer. Temperatures are forecast to go as high as 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Back over to you.
2: All right. Thanks a lot. That's our Christina Parts and Evelis. Christina, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, turning over to you, Kara. we got a lot to talk about. Let's get to some more of your moves. I'm just looking at the list. It's a long list here. PayPal, Salesforce, you bought, you trimmed Visa and United Health. Let's start things off with PayPal.
5: Well, PayPal is a stock that bottomed under 70, 17 times earnings, and we've owned the stock, and it was just cheap and the sentiment was so negative that we felt it's time for there to be a shift and we decided to add to the position and we did the stock you know it's up 40 percent since mid-june so the market is appreciating that things are not as bad as they looked a few months ago all
2: right let's talk salesforce as well also up more than three percent today
5: well, you know, Salesforce, again, it's a big tech name, and it's about growth in the economy. And when people are worried about stagflation or worried about employment because they sell on a per-seat basis, that's a problem for Salesforce. But if people are more positive about the economy, interest rates aren't just as, as high as expected then they feel better about it and it's a name that people can feel good about owning and and we do and we think there's a lot of upside there.
2: I right, want a couple two of your moves together Home Depot and Sherwin-Williams it comes on a day where the iShares U.S. Home Constructors ETF is up more than four percent on pace for one of its better days of the year kind of give us some insight and in why you want to move to that play uh, obviously home prices are up they're kind of off the highs but still up and rates are going up as well.
5: Well, these are both stocks that had really tough second quarters, and they were down 25 to 30% uh, on the back of fear about a recession, prices of homes going down, and interest rates being very high. And now I think those fears have subsided. We're less worried about a severe recession and about much higher interest rates. So combine that with valuation, and both stocks are very attractive.
2: All right, let's look at where you're getting out. Uh, Visa and UnitedHealth. Visa and PayPal seem to me, they seem a bit intertwined. I know Visa is not a, technically a fintech company, but plays in a similar space. So kind of give us some rationale on the Visa move and, of course, United Health.
5: Sure. Well, Visa has been a very strong stock. It was flat for the year, and it's a big position of ours. So we've just trimmed it. It's still a big position. It's not as big now, but we're still playing the cross-border uh, build in business and the fact that consumers are spending and traveling. So we still like Visa. We just, you know, on a valuation basis cut. And United Health has been a really strong stock, one of the best uh, of the big S&P names uh, and Dow names. And it was just, again, valuation. It's been it's held up really well. And we just thought we should trim it back some.
2: Yeah, the Dow component down fractionally right now. One of the few things in the Dow that doesn't appear to be working today. Kerry, thanks for those moves. All right, financials, one of the best-performing sectors in today's rally. And a bullish call out on the group today. We've got some ownership right here on the committee. That debate, the call, coming up next. Halftime, back in two minutes. And welcome back to halftime. Atlantic Equities out with a note calling U.S. bank valuations attractive for longer-term investors. Bank of America, Morgan Stanley and Wells Fargo all reiterated overweight. It's our call of the day. Joe, you own Bank of America and Morgan Stanley. And I also own Goldman Sachs.
3: I bought it back on July 22nd at 318. I believe in the capital marketplace. Um, I think that persistent and elevated volatility is going to benefit both equity, fixed income trading, uh, and the Commodities Division for Goldman Sachs, for Morgan Stanley, and Bank of America, to a certain extent, benefits uh, along that as well. I also think as a second derivative of an improving uh, risk asset environment, you could look towards asset managers, you could look towards exchanges, you could think about a Charles Schwab or a T. Rowe Price, or even a Virtu fin- Financial, full disclosure, I maintain a, a friendship with uh, the, the CEO and management there, but it's an environment for a company like Virtu Financial, where if the environment improves, you're taking advantage of a company that ish, has a very strong buyback program and also uh, gives a very strong dividend as well. So I like that second
2: derivative play. All right, Snap, over to you. My colleague Leslie Picker actually recently did a story on regional banks. I know that's what you prefer as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for me, as it relates to kind of financials, I like the KRE, which is the regional bank ETF. I think. For me, the play with, with financials is loan growth and net interest income. And I think those are business lines that the regional banks really play to. PNC is my favorite name in the space. But to Joe's point on capital markets, you know, Goldman's just the best of breed. You know, the IB environment has been really tough. But from a trading volume perspective and just understanding what's going on uh, in, the, in the environment and volumes being what they are, I think Goldman can still do well. So that's, that's, that's where I am on, on the financials trade.
2: And Jim, speaking of gold, man, that was your final trade just yesterday. Yeah, sometimes I get it right.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, riffing <laughs> off of what Jason and uh, and Joe just said about uh, capital markets and trading, I-, I think there's another aspect to this, which is the overall big macro picture. If this CPI number today is an omen of what's to come, and maybe the Fed's not as aggressive. Then what that leads to is these fears of a recession abate, the fears of credit quality declines that go along with the recession abate. And by the way, if economic activity picks up, you get loan demand growth. All of this is good for the traditional bread and butter lending business of these banks, which is a complement to the trading that's been talked about.
2: Yeah, Carrie, over to you. You're not in any of the big banks, but you do have some exposure to financials. Explain why you're out of the banks.
5: Well, I, I think it's really about their growth prospects. And we would rather own a CME, uh, which has been... a. a a great stock to work when there's been volatility in the market American Express which again benefits from the big travel boom and also you know it is is a financial service company in a major way Blackstone if we're talking about capital markets uh, they're an enormous beneficiary as as um, they're invested across multiple asset classes and um, Charles Schwab which has a bank itself. And if markets start to improve, then they'll do better with um, more active um, participants on their platform.
2: So Jim, I want to come back over to you. Obviously, you're bullish on Goldman Sachs, but you also believe that loan demand is going to increase and that the yield curve steepening is going to be a tailwind for the banks.
4: Yeah, I, I, you know, not everybody can see you, Frank, but you look like you're a little bit incredulous. I'm no, no, not okay. at all. I'm, I'm just, just looking at you. I mean, Joe, it's not you. me. I'm just, just not looking at me, right? He did no. look a little bit. There's no stink
2: guy. <laughs> there was no nothing. There's nothing there.
4: Okay, <laughs> I, I, and again, this goes back. Sorry about that, Frank. This goes back to the overall thesis that I have, which is that, and I know people are tired of saying it, but I got to say it: supply chain onshoring and infrastructure spending is going to propel economic activity going forward for the next two to three years. All of that construction requires financing. It doesn't matter if you're Intel and you've got to borrow money both in the capital markets and from the banks to build your semi-plant, or if you're the general contractor who needs to rent more excavators and and dump trucks and stuff. That all requires financing. This is Economic activity is very good for the bread-and-butter lending of banks. That's why they're cyclicals, folks. All right, I'm going to keep my face neutral for this. (laughs) Sorry, Frank.
2: Santoli's midday words up next. Plus, (laughs) we'll get you ready for Disney's earnings after the bell. Halftime, right back. I just got to keep it neutral for you, Jim. All right. Welcome back to halftime. A nice rally on the back of the latest inflation data. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now from the NYSE with his midday word. Hey, Mike.
9: Yeah, you know, Frank, this isn't one of those days where you get a highly anticipated data release and the market reaction is some kind of bank shot or, you know, a rethink of the obvious uh, conclusion. It was headline relief and it translated that way into the stock market. I think the big question after seeing the morning rally is kind of where the rally got to and did not yet get past, which is. 4,200 on the S&P 500. That's about a 15% move off the mid-June lows. So you can easily make the argument that it's almost a culmination of this this move, this tension release we've gotten with perhaps peak inflation and peak Fed hawkishness. And we'll see how the market absorbs it from here. Also, big question, is it a good thing for stocks or a not-so-good thing that we do have the long runway of late summer before we have another Fed meeting or other known market moving events, uh, which might actually be, first of all, another CPI number coming uh, for August, uh, not before we even
2: get uh, the Fed meeting again. All right. Mike Santoli with his midday word. Thank you very much, Mike. All right. Coming up, shares of Disney higher ahead of its earnings results in just a few hours. Jim owns it. His take ahead of the print. That's coming up next on Halftime. All right, welcome back to Half Disney. Set to report earnings after the bell. The stock getting its price target cut ahead of those numbers. RBC cutting into that price target. 150 from 176. But reiterating, the stock had outperformed and a top pick. Jim, you own Disney. Yeah. And look, it's been several quarters in a row that the earnings report has been met with a
4: big Razzie from the street. Um, I I think that may change here simply because expectations have gotten very low, particularly on the subscriber count post all the Netflix misses. Um, I I think they will add subscribers. And I think this might be a case where for once or at least in the last three times, uh, the market doesn't look through those subscriber numbers and say it's about to fall off a cliff. Uh, There is some some talk out there that maybe their 2024 targets of 230 to 260 million needs to come in. Fine. In the meantime, though, as this continues to grow, the theme park business and the movie business is going really quite well. Dr. Strange uh, three months ago racked up one point four billion in box office take worldwide. That's a that's a big number. Uh, They've got a lot of pistons going in their engine.
2: Yeah, Carrie, over to you. Um, Jim just mentioned that forecast for subscribers at 230 to 260 million by 2024. Just to put it in context, great article by Alex Sherman on CNBC.com today. Right now, Disney's at just shy of 140 million. Is that still a realistic target?
5: Well, it might not be. And they could temper that, that forecast by showing some decent numbers this quarter and talking about how they're able to achieve on the revenue side by more paying subscribers. We, we all know that there are a lot of non-paying subscribers to Disney+, Plus. how they've expanded by their ownership of some of the other streaming services and the strength there. And I think that they can spin it well and the stock could keep going higher because Disney really did get hammered over the last you know, year. And it's, it's having a rally it probably deserves.
2: All right, Snipe, I know that you own Netflix because you let me use your password, but are you still (laughs) bullish on the stock? So,
1: I'm not. I I sold it, you know, last summer. Um, And, you know, honestly, I I think it's already what you just said, uh, you know, what Jimmy said in terms of, you know, hey, listen, they have 139 or close to 140 million in subs. The street has really valued this stock as a streaming stock, whether we like it or not. And, you know that 2024 guy to 230 to 260 that's an aggressive target i just feel like there's a lot of content spend that needs to happen so i'm I'm not a buyer here on disney
2: all right joe you're laughing i need that paramount plus subscription too (laughs) you help me out all right final trades coming up next on (laughs) halftime
8: are you following the halftime report podcast what are you waiting for look for us in your favorite podcasting app follow the halftime podcast now
2: All right, Wynn Resorts reporting a better-than-expected loss, but a revenue miss. The casino noting results were dragged down by Macau travel bans, Jim, you own it. You were also listening to the call yesterday. What's your take? So a couple of thoughts here, Frank. First off, Macau is the reason that the stock is flat
4: today while the market's up. Um, I didn't think expectations could be lower than they were going into the call, but Macau is just basically at a zero right now. Frankly, that's good because nobody should have any illusions that there's value to Macau in the enterprise value of Wynn. On the other side of that, though, the Las Vegas and Boston properties both outperformed. And I think the most important thing listening to the call is this is another manager. Team that's simply saying, point blank, they don't see the recession. Now, this is one narrow slice of the economy, folks, mainly Vegas, a little bit in Boston. uh, But they said it many times, they don't see any sign of a recession, not just in the results they reported, but in the bookings going forward. And if you look at Las Vegas as a whole, you see that revenue per available room is up something like 18% over uh, 2019 levels. You see visitor traffic coming back. They're seeing it. They're seeing conventions coming back. So you just got to gotta take Macau out of this
2: equation, which I thought was already out of it. Uh, but by now, it really is. All right. Totally anecdotal. I was in Vegas last week. It was just jam-packed. I don't know what that means about recession or not. All right. Final Trades, Jim, I'm going to have you first up.
4: Uh, Boeing just delivered its first 787 in, I think, uh, 15 months. That's a very good sign.
2: Kerry?
5: Uh, Blackstone, it's sitting at its 100-day moving average. Above that would be a breakout. We think that lower interest rates helps private equity firms because they leverage. It's good for Blackstone.
2: It's nice.
1: Mary, uh, travel travel theme is still intact. In you know, adjusted EBITDA was 10.5% above consensus last week. I like it here.
3: Joe T, you get the last word? Uh, to Jimmy's point, and, and and most of the panels have spoken about energy today. Valero is my final trade, and it's just a great hedge uh, against the growth strategy failing here.
2: All right, before we get going, one last check in the markets. Uh, markets moving higher after that CPI print right now, remaining higher. The NASDAQ up almost 2.5%. The S&P off of its highs, but still up almost 2%. The Dow up a percent and a half. That does it for halftime. I'll see you. Uh, we won't see me in overtime. That's for Scott Wapner. But... The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on
3: CNBC.
0: Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills
5: relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.